Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 67 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. After our first extraction session of the season, it's time to consider what the month ahead will bring and also a brief update on how we're doing so far. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. So we're just out of the honey room and I've enjoyed a decent early season crop of oilseed rape honey. Even with the numerous splits and swarms, we still managed to extract plenty of honey. I say extract, those of you that have been watching the latest videos on my Patreon page will have seen just how much we had to cut out of the frames. Oilseed rape is a terrific early season honey, but it does granulate very quickly in the comb. I'm not too disappointed though, as I want to have a crack at making my own foundation this year, so we need to stockpile plenty of fresh wax for the autumn and winter months. The honey room looks like a Tasmanian devil has been let loose with a bucket of honey. I'm not sure how I managed to get it everywhere, but it just seems to have a mind of its own. So that's another cleaning job that I need to add to the list. We've moved around 30 hives from the oilseed rape site, and I managed to pick the one morning that the skies decided to open up, and it rained almost continually for the entire time we were trying to move the bees. On the plus side, the bees were fairly calm, and for the most part, stayed in their hives. The flip side of the coin meant despite wearing waterproof walking boots, the rain went down my trouser legs and puddled inside my boots, making my feet squelch with each step. Luckily, I can report I didn't suffer any permanent damage, such as trench foot. We were moving the bees to a site of late-planted field beans. The top field has a very nice grass track for us to drive along, and a fairly flat, hard-standing area for the pallets to sit on, acting as stands for the hives. We're not so lucky with the lower site, though. The field has been left fallow for the year, and the farmer had been over it and drilled some grasses or something into the field. I had to call him to make sure it was okay to drive across, which he confirmed. I obviously didn't want to upset him on my first day. But the result was my truck tyres collected an additional four or five inches of muddy circumference as we drove across the field, and my boots gradually got heavier and heavier with each step until it felt like I was about four inches taller. All that said... The very good news is the field beans have literally just started to flower this week and we've had some much needed rain which I'm sure will help the plants produce lots of nectar and the weather for the next couple of weeks looks set fair so I'm certain the bees will be all over it. I watched the bees on their orientation flights yesterday. It was lovely to sit and just chill out for 20 minutes watching the bees as they fly out and locate themselves to their hives. I'm certain today and into the weekend they'll be foraging in earnest with overnight temperatures staying in the double digit area. Sunrise is around 4.30am at the moment so they'll have some very long days coming up. I must make sure that those extra supers are ready. It's another job for the to-do list. Talking of the jobs list, this month is an unusual one as historically we used to describe it as the June gap. I'm sure some people still do suffer a June gap where forage became more difficult to find and sometimes colonies needed feeding. Oh, one point about taking off the spring crop, make sure you leave something for the bees. I noticed a couple of my colonies were literally all brewed in the brood box with no stores at all. If I'd taken all of the stored honey in the supers, they would probably be starving right now. 
That is, if I hadn't taken them to the field beans, of course, but if the weather happened to have turned cold and wet preventing the bees from flying, they would most certainly have starved. Just be sure to take a close look when you next inspect, and make sure they have food enough until the next inspection. So back to the jobs list. The June gap. Not so much a gap for me these days. My bees are situated fairly close to urban areas generally, and there always seems to be a source of forage around for them. We have lots of allotments locally, and the allotmenteers always seem to have something in flower that the bees will take to. I noticed some of my own raspberry plants were almost in flower yesterday, and the bees would certainly be all over those. If you do find yourself with a sudden drop in available forage for your bees, you may well find they suddenly become a double or even a triple glove colony. By that I mean they get really hangry. You know, that mix of hungry and angry that we all suffer from. Well, I think we all suffer from. I know I certainly do, and Steph and Pete can testify to that, I'm sure. It's like that chocolate bar advert tagline, you're not you when you're hungry. The bees are just the same, weeks of high sugar, oilseed, rape, nectar, and suddenly the tap gets turned off. It's enough to make anyone grumpy. Look out for when your bees seem to suddenly start attacking your bee suit cuffs or burrowing down your wellies and into your ankles. It's a sure sign. At this time of the year, it's nothing to do with a genetic predisposition to defensive behaviour. It's just hunger. Once they get onto another nectar flow, they'll calm down again. And if not, it's time to start queen rearing and replacing that genetic line. Anyway, back to the jobs for the month. Top of my list has to be continuing to sort out more kit. There's a flow on with the field beans and I don't want to get caught short with no supers ready to add. So all the oilseed rape frames that I had to cut out need boiling clean and have more wax added to them. I've also got a lot of splits and swarms to consider. They're building up nicely for the most part and will need to be moved into full-size hives if they're going to be built up for honey production. Some of those nukes will be used as feeder colonies for the main hives though. What I mean by this is perhaps removing a frame or two of brood from the nukes to add to medium-sized colonies to make those colonies nice and large to take advantage of the nectar flow. Now that the oilseed rape has finished, I need to move colonies back to their home sites if they're not earmarked for the field beans. That means moving not just the hives, but the spare equipment such as empty supers and brood boxes, spare nukes and floors and brood bodies, and, well, just about everything beekeeping that fits on a hive. Add to that the pallets we use to sit the hives on, and it all amounts to quite a lot of work. I have one more apiary that needs urgent attention. Unfortunately, the landowners want to use their entire paddock for themselves. Not unreasonable, I suppose, as it belongs to them, but they do insist on walking past the hives on days that I've been around and inspected, and some of the colonies are, well, double glove colonies. Anyway, I've been evicted. Served notice, told to pack up and go. It's a real shame, but we have to go. They're actually lovely people and are being very understanding with regard to the time frame of moving the hives. They still have about 150 kilos of honey stacked on them in supers, so I need to get that off first. Then the bees are going to the field beans. These colonies have been very productive, so I want to make the most of them. That's all going to happen over this weekend, so by the time we get to next week's podcast... I should be able to report that it's all done and they're working hard in their new location. I've kind of mixed the jobs for June and my personal school report. Sorry about that. Hopefully my ramblings are not too confusing for you. But here's another job you should consider. 
tropic colonies that haven't swarmed are bursting with bees right now, foraging hard, and if you've not kept on top of the Varroa management, they may well be heading to a sudden and dramatic collapse. This has nothing to do with colony collapse disorder, just a sudden and catastrophic overloading of emerging Varroa mites, and it's always the largest colonies that seem to suffer the most, and here's why. A build-up of brood with high numbers of drone brood in particular gives plenty of security and food for the reproducing Varroa mites. As the brood emerges, so does the increasingly high number of Varroa until it hits that exponential curve and Varroa numbers skyrocket. If you've not treated them, and you intend to treat them, I would grab for the mite-away quickstrips. They've worked really well for me in the past, particularly on larger colonies with a higher loading of Varroa mites. A great mechanical way of managing Varroa at this time of the year is to remove sealed drone brood with the mites trapped inside. This can be done in several ways, but one of the easiest is to take a couple of super frames and replace brood frames with these super frames. Generally, the bees will build drone comb on the bottom of the shallow frames, and once they're capped, it's an easy job to run a knife or a sharp hive tool along the bottom and remove it with potentially thousands of Varroa mites. I'll put some in a couple of colonies on a video next week to show the process. It's very straightforward. So check it out on my Patreon page. The links, as usual, will be in the show notes. Now is also a good time to introduce new frames of foundation into your brood boxes to replace damaged or old combs. This is a regular task for me every year. It not only helps remove those nasty grubby combs, but also those combs where the bees decided to go off-piste by creating comb at odd angles to the adjacent comb, so that when you lift the new frame, the comb tears apart and is mostly destroyed. Well, now's a good time to remove those frames and get some fresh foundation drawn. There are lots of ways of doing this. Simply adding to the ends of a brood box full of bees is fine. Checkerboarding, where you separate drawn comb and insert foundation so that you end up with drawn comb, foundation, drawn comb, foundation, and so on or maybe setting up a Bailey comb change is the way you'd like to replace comb. Finally, if things are looking particularly bad, why not go for a full comb change using a Shook Swarm? This final method worked really well for me last year in the Honeypore Poly Langstroth hives. The thing to remember with a Shook Swarm is to place a queen excluder beneath the brood box on top of the floor. This is to prevent the queen from absconding, which may happen if you don't have the excluder in place. The process, however, is very straightforward. Firstly, move the hive to the back of its current position. It helps if you have a stand of the same height to place the new hive setup on. And of course, the process does need an additional full hive setup. There's no point in going to the trouble of carrying out a shook swarm if you simply replace all of the new frames in old dirty kit. Place the new hive in the position of the old hive and remove the centre frames. Three or four is plenty. From this point, you want to find the queen and cage her. Put her in the new hive suspended between a couple of frames. I use the yellow queen cages and they have a little eye at one end where you can thread a piece of wire through. I've used small twigs before when I've not had anything else to hand and it works really well. Next, pick out one old frame at a time and shake the bees into the open space in the new hive and keep going until you've cleaned out all the old hive of all the frames. Finally, Give the brood box a shake over the new brood box and brush out the remaining bees still clinging to the side of the box with your fingertips. Replace the frames you took out to allow you to shake the bees in 
and remove all of the old kit from the apiary so the bees don't pick up on the pheromone in the old hive. Close up the new hive and put the feeder on top. I'm currently using the syrup sold by Paul Beardmore at Happy Valley Honey called Mix. The bees really take to it well and a full set of brood frames can be drawn out easily in a week to ten days with a strong colony. And that's it. You end up with a brood break, a nice clean hive and a full set of fresh brood frames with lovely light coloured comb. We're entering the early summer phase of the season now. Swarming is slowing down a little after that quite frantic early season and that's really where my school report for this month focuses as you all may be aware, I have a mix of bees made up of locally bred open-mated queens, and this gives me a wide range of traits within apiaries, and most of the colonies this spring have wanted to swarm, it seems. At this point, it's confession time, and I want to talk through a mistake that I made with a couple of colonies where I lost my focus, and the result was pretty disastrous from a beekeeping perspective. I discovered several colonies were attempting to swarm, and in fact a few had already swarmed. When I inspected the swarmed colonies, I discovered multiple queen cells in a range of positions and looking like all three of the often described types of queen cells. Swarm cells, supersedure cells and emergency cells. In some instances, there were not just a few queen cells but tens of them with as many as 10 to 15 cells on one frame alone. My normal routine is to remove all but one cell and this I did to the best of my ability. I probably missed the odd one or two as I went through the hives. At this point I'm reminded of beekeepers who leave two queen cells in case one doesn't make it, a kind of insurance policy. And yes, as I removed queen cells, I did find one or two that had failed and wouldn't have produced a queen if that queen cell had been the one that I'd chosen to leave. But the queen cells I left all had emerged queens when I checked them later, so it's a rare thing for the queen to fail in the cell that is left. Anyway, I marked these colonies on the roof with the initials SQC, which stands for sealed queen cell, and added the date so I could get my timings right. No need to inspect them for a few weeks, or so my brain told me. And the results, well, the few colonies I left in this state had sufficient young enough larvae to reproduce all of the queen cells I'd knocked down, it seems. And when I inspected them a few weeks later, they had swarmed not just the once, but multiple times. You will hear stories that the first emerging queen will run around a colony, killing her sibling virgin queens and becoming the only queen in the colony. I find this doesn't happen very often. There were emerged queen cells throughout the colonies and very, very few bees, a sure sign that they had swarmed multiple times on emerging virgin queens. So the moral of the story and my usual method of checking is when you knock down queen cells in a colony that has swarmed, make sure you go back a week later to remove any additional queen cells the bees have produced, or you might not just lose one swarm, you might find an empty brood box with multiple emerged queen cells. I'm glad to say it only happened with a handful of colonies, so I can easily recover the situation, and a valuable reminder to stay focused when inspecting. More time thinking about my bees and less time taking pictures to post to Instagram, I think. The point here is to say we all make mistakes when we're beekeeping. It's okay to screw up sometimes. It's not the end of the world. Just learn from it and move on. I did get some lovely pictures for my Instagram account, though. 
Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Yeah.